it's Valentine's Day, and hopefully you're not the, like the husband and wife who were giving each other the silent treatment. You all never do that, right? <laughs> they were giving each other the silent treatment, and as they were in the midst of giving each other the silent treatment, the man remembered that the next morning he needed to be sure to wake up at 5 a.m. because he had a flight that he had to catch, and he didn't want to miss his flight, and he had a tendency to oversleep his alarm, and so he... But he didn't want to be the one to give in and break the silent treatment that he was giving, that they were giving each other. And so he left a note beside his wife's bed that said, please wake me up at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. Well, the next day at 9 o'clock, he woke up and he was very upset. And he was just about to go find his wife and give, him, give her a piece of his mind when he found a piece of paper laying next to his bed that said, it's 5 a.m., wake up. That's not what love is supposed to look like, right? Not what it's supposed to look like. This morning, I'm going to take a, a break this morning from our series on Daniel. And I want to talk to you a little bit about two things. I want to talk to you about love. And I want to talk to you about truth. Truth and love. I, there's, there's been a couple stories this week that's been bouncing around in my head. All right? A couple couple things that have happened this week that, that I just haven't been able to get away from, and we'll, we'll talk about those. One of the stories has to do with truth without love, and the other story has to do with love without truth. And both of those are wrong. It's been said that truth and love are the twin rails upon which Christianity runs, and we need both. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, by, all, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. But then a few verses later, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth and love, twin rails upon which Christianity runs. Unfortunately, though, both at times seem to be endangered species. Both are absolutely essential, but both at times seem to be endangered. In our day and age, truth is considered relative. It may be true for you, but it's not true for me. That's kind of the prevailing postmodern philosophy that there's no such thing as absolute truth. A few years ago, uh, the pastor of, I believe, the second largest church in the United States, Andy Stanley preached a, a series of messages, and I listened to all of them, and I, I may have mentioned this to you in the past, I can't recall, but he preached a series of messages in which he, he called them, he called it brand new. And in it, he argued against what he called the temple model of Christianity. And he said the temple model was defined by sacred places, sacred texts, sacred man, and sincere superstitious followers. And he claimed that in his church, he said, we're going to let go of the things that have been holding us back. We're going to do our best to re-embrace what Jesus had in mind when he said this is something new. By God's grace, perhaps in our generation, we will be used to strip away everything that makes the church of the Lord Jesus Christ unnecessarily resistible. In other words, part of what he was saying was un what, that was unnecessary was having a sacred book. 
We don't need a sacred book, according to Andy Stanley. And having listened to all his sermons, like most false teachers, there is truth mixed with error, as is always the case. Now, I mentioned a couple stories this week that have bounced around in my head. One of them was I had a Facebook friend who, who shared this, or he shared something from a church in Nashville, and this is something that they posted. Now, I am not endorsing this, okay? I just want you to understand. This is what a church in Nashville posted. And this is what it says if you can't read it. The Bible isn't, they say, the Word of God. It isn't self-interpreting. It isn't a science book. It isn't an answer rule book. It isn't inerrant or infallible. But this is what they say the Bible is. A product of community, a library of text, multivocal, hum a human response to God, living and dynamic. Of course, the problem with that is all of it. That's the problem with that, is all of it. So if you want to know. But in our day and age, truth is considered to be something that's inherently hazy. It's indistinct. It's uncertain. Perhaps it's ultimately unknowable in the world we live. That's what they think about truth. And what we need to understand is that there is a war that is going on, and it's a battle over truth. The devil is the father of lies in whom there is no truth. You see, with the devil, there is no truth. But our God is a God of truth. And that's why I believe the enemy does his best to undermine our faith in the word of God. He knows that if he can get us to doubt the truth of God's word, he will have accomplished undermining the very foundation of our faith. The interesting thing about a church like this that you see on the screen, what they said, is that they try to hold a, a strange juxtaposition, if you will, of on one hand they try to claim to believe in Jesus, but where do you learn about Jesus? In the very book they say isn't necessary. The very book they say that it isn't inspired, inerrant, or infallible. You see, what we believe about the Word of God is absolutely crucial. If for no other reason, it's because it teaches us about Jesus. And Jesus himself unequivocally believed that what was written in Scripture was true. And when we embrace what the Bible says about itself, then and only then will we believe what we should believe about the Word of God, will we feel what we should feel, and will we do what God's Word says we ought to do. But first, we must believe that everything that is written in this book is true. You see, submission to Scripture is ultimately submission to God. Rebellion against Scripture is ultimately rebellion against God. Where do we find out how to live and please God? In this book. Now, we don't worship this book, but this book tells us how to worship God. Last Sunday, I quoted 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll get to my text here in a little bit. I'm not there yet, but we'll get there here shortly. This is not my text, but last week we talked about, I quoted 2 Thessalonians 2, where we're told about the lawless one who will come, the, the Antichrist, 
the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and do it. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So why is it that people doubt, or why is it that people deny, or why is it that people try to do away with or destroy the truth of God's word? Well, the reason is because they do not love truth. In fact, instead, they love their unrighteousness, and they want to stay in it. The church that I shared the picture with a few moments ago, in 2015, I believe it was, decided that living an LGTBQ++ lifestyle was acceptable to God. And if you want to believe it's acceptable to God, you have to not believe what this word says. And so what do they do? They want to approve of unrighteousness. So in order to approve of unrighteousness, you've got to get rid of this thing and say it's not inspired and infallible and inerrant word of God. But those who are truly saved love the truth Jesus said in John 8, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Blaise Pascal was a brilliant philosopher, mathematician, who he said this about his day, which was back in the 1600s. He said this, truth is so obscure in these times and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. Now, he said that 400 years ago. There's been a lot of time passed since then. And a lot of lies. Love and truth are the twin rails on which Christianity runs. Now, I want you to look with me. I want to go to the book of 2 John. 2 John this morning. So now I'm getting to my text. So look with me at 2 John. It's toward the back of your Bible. It's little, very short. Second shortest book in the Bible. It's been said that 2 John is a message from the front lines like a scrap of war correspondence discovered long after the battle is passed. Well, the Apostle John, he writes in 2 John, he writes to the elect lady. It starts out the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we, that which we have had from the beginning that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. 
This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. So, so John is writing this letter. We don't know exactly to who, but it's to some elect lady, probably a lady who was having a house church there in her home. And he, he's, he's going to deal with this, this lady, and, and she's having some visiting preachers in her home, some of which are not holding to truth, and so he'll deal with that. But the letter was written because truth matters. There's two key words in 2 John. One is agape love, and the other is truth. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we find out that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And the reality is if the church ever loses the, or abandons the truth, it ceases to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. So when I say a church in Nashville said what it said, I'm using that term very loosely because I would say that that is no longer part of the true church of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, this lady was hosting these itinerant preachers in her home Having hospitality, which is something that we are to be given to, hospitality. But in the process, she was allowing some false teachers to stay in her home, and these false teachers were proclaiming another gospel. They were claiming to proclaim the true gospel, and John will say in verse 10, he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet them, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So that's serious business. And that's what John's writing about here. But there's two things that I want to, you to see this morning. And I want you, first of all, to see that we must love the truth. Do you love truth? I mean, it's very evident here that John loves the truth. And he tells him he loves, he tells this lady that he loves them in truth. In Ephesians, Paul admonishes us to speak the truth in love. And that's exactly what John is doing here in this epistle. You see, tr truth is something that you and I must embrace. We must embrace. Both truth and love are essential. And one of the, one of the problems that people get into is they want to show love, but they want to show love at the cost of truth. On the other hand, another danger that we can get into is being so passionate about truth that we fail to show love. God wants us to do both. Love must be anchored in truth. Jesus taught us that all the commandments hang on the command to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. That doesn't mean that all the other commandments are meaningless. It means that all of them hang on that command that we must love others. Love God and love others. That doesn't mean truth is something you can abandon. No, truth must be embraced. And all truth is God's truth wherever it's found. Truth is essential. It's something we must embrace, but it's also something we must enjoy. John doesn't just simply present information here as something to be believed, but truth is ultimately an abiding presence in our lives that transforms lives. It's relational is what I'm getting at here. It's dynamic. The truth, he says, lives in us in verse 2. And then in verse 3, 
He says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from the God, the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Now sometimes, I don't know about you, but when I'm reading the Bible, it's easy to skip, you know, the beginning and the end of books. You know, the greetings. It's easy just to kind of skip those and not pay a whole lot of attention. But, but stop and think about what John says in verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace. Well, what's grace? God's unmerited, undeserved kindness that he shows to us. As the famous acrostic, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Mercy speaks of God's compassion, his pity. Peace has to do with, the Hebrew concept has to do with wholeness and well-being and love and all of its aspects. Paul says in Romans 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Grace is God doing for us what we do not deserve. Mercy is his not doing to us what we do deserve. Aren't you thankful amen. for God's grace and mercy? Yes, amen. And peace is God giving us what we need based on his grace and mercy. That's some blessings to enjoy, amen? amen. That's some truths to enjoy. Jesus in his high priestly prayer, it's so powerful, John 17, where he prays for his people and that we would be a people of truth, that scripture might be fulfilled. Talks about how the world has hated us or hated him will hate us. But then he says, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. See, Jesus loved us, but he also wanted us to be sanctified by the truth. For his word is true. You see, truth is something that must be embraced and something we should enjoy. God help us to do that. Now, if you ever want to just really see somebody embracing the truth and enjoying the truth, read Psalm 119. The longest chapter in the Bible, of course. Longest psalm. But it's all about the psalmist embracing and enjoying truth. For instance, he says, I delight in your commands, which I love. I thought I had it on the screen. I don't. He says, I delight in your commands, which I love. I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and will meditate on your statutes. How sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 159, consider how I love your precepts, Lord. Give me life according to your faithful love. The entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. Princes have persecuted me without cause, but my heart fears only your word. I rejoice over your promise like one who finds vast treasure. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your instruction. Verse 174, I long for your salvation, Lord, and your instruction is my delight. Let me live and I will praise you. May your judgments help me. I wander like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. You can't read Psalm 119 and not see somebody who believes God's word, believes it's true, embraces it, and enjoys it. Mm 
May that be our testimony. May that be the reality of our lives that we love truth. We must love it. But not only must we love truth, but we must live the truth. Going back to, to 2 John, verse 4, John says, I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth as we've received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. You see, loving people and loving truth means you live the way God wants you to live. Loving people doesn't mean you treat them ways that is contrary to how God's word says. Or, or maybe I should put it this way. It's not approving of things that God's word disapproves of. Living the truth means you walk in it. You walk according to Christ's command. John rejoices here because he found some of her children walking in truth. But what does that imply? Some weren't. Now, whether this, this is this lady's actual children, or more likely, it was probably members of the church that perhaps she was the pastor of. Now, that don't run me off, but she may have been. Point is, some of her children were walking in truth, but some weren't. You see, we must be concerned about our creed, what we believe, right? What we believe matters. Because truth matters. Amen. When we did a, a um, SWOT analysis here of our church, we've done two, I think. And both times, what was the number one thing? Anybody remember? Number one thing that we're passionate about here? Doctrine. That was the number one thing. And that's important. Amen? Should be. Amen. We should be concerned about what we believe. It's of utmost importance. In 2 Peter... The Apostle Peter warns about untaught and unstable people who twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. They twist Paul's writings is what he talks about. But then he says this in 2 Peter 3. He said, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, that there's people that, are, that will twist scripture, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. That's, what, that's what Peter says. So, so we must be concerned about what we believe. But we must also be concerned about how we behave. That's our conduct. You see, both of these things go hand in hand. Our creed and our conduct. They should align. But what's the problem? For far too many people, they don't align. Vance Havner, that Baptist preacher, had a unique way of saying things. He said, what we live is what we believe. 
Everything else is just religious talk. We say here in our church that doctrine is important to us. My question is, does our lives back up what we say we believe? I said there was two stories this week that have been bouncing around in my mind. The first was, well, really, this was the second, but the one I mentioned earlier about the church in Nashville. The other story that's been on my mind this week is, again, the news about Ravi Zacharias. Probably most of you heard that news. The thing about Ravi Zacharias was, that for the most part, I would say his creed, his doctrine was good. I got a lot of his books. I listened to him on the radio. His doctrine was good, but what was the problem with Ravi Zacharias? The opposite problem of the church in Nashville. I would say that Ravi Zacharias, the problem with him was his conduct didn't match his creed. He had truth, but without love. The church of Nashville wants to have love without truth. We must have both. So John says, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. Love. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. You see, we get into hypocrisy when we say we believe one thing and we live a different way. But the answer to that is not throw away, when, when your conduct doesn't match what you believe, you don't throw away what you believe so you can have your conduct. No, what needs to change is your conduct to align with your creed. It's Valentine's Day. And when you truly love someone, you want to do what pleases them. Right? Husbands, amen. Wives, amen. When you truly love someone, you want to do what pleases them. But John says here that love for one another involves keeping the Father's commands. That means that our loving each other will be seen in obedience to God's commands, which reveal to us the nature of true love. In other words, I don't show love to you in the way that I think is most loving. I show love to you by obeying God's commands. And when I do that, I will be loving you in the way that's most loving. You follow me? It's not just what I think is the right way. It's, okay, God's word says, this is what love looks like. And if I love God with all my heart, I want to please him in everything I do, which will then spill over into how I treat you. True concern for others will likely mean there are times when we will have to lovingly stand for God's word 
when it goes contrary to how someone's living. And in the process, what we will be accused of is being unloving because you're standing for the truth of God's Word. Now, I can, I can use a lot of examples for this. So, if I tell you, if you're living with someone who's not your spouse, and I tell you that's wrong and sinful, you may say, well, that's not loving. Well, no, the truth of God's Word says you to be married. If I tell someone who's living an LGTBQ++ lifestyle, that lifestyle is not pleasing to God, that doesn't mean I hate them. In fact, we should not hate or mistreat anyone, period. That lifestyle is a sin just as much as any other sin. Just as much as a man and a woman living together and they're not married, that is just as wrong and just as sinful. But we must stand for the truth of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 tells us that don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then it gives a list of people who won't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes we focus on one or two of these sins to the exclusion of the others, but none of them will. So again, what should we do? Our creed, we must agree with the truth of God's word, and our conduct must align with what we say we believe. I believe the most unloving thing that I could do would be to tell someone you can behave and live and do something that will cause them to end up in hell. If I put my seal of approval on any of these sins, that's the most unloving thing I could possibly do. Now, our world will accuse us for standing and saying certain lifestyles, certain practices are sinful, you should not be engaged in them. Our world will tell us that's unloving, but the reality is the opposite of that. But again, well, let me just add this. Someone said the tolerance police have two fundamental tenets. Number one, we have an absolute commitment to free speech, and number two, shut up. Again, though, I want to just emphasize love must all, always be coupled with obedience. And obedience must always be coupled with love. You can stand against, and some people do this, you can stand on street corners and shout how God hates certain people and certain lifestyles. But that's not love. But then you can also say, God loves everyone and every lifestyle is okay. And you know what that is? That's not being truthful. It's not being people of truth. So obedience is not just a pick and choose affair. And love doesn't condemn another for their sin, all while deliberately disobeying God in another area. And you see, that's where the church gets in so much trouble because to the world, the church often appears to approve of or disapprove of certain sins while allowing 
sin in their own life. But God demands holiness. He requires holiness. We must be holy. He is holy. In Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm coming to a close, Paul writes that God gave certain people, different leaders in the church for various giftings. And he says that he does it for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. And then Paul says that God does all of this until, oh, that's the wrong place, there we go, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And see, God wants us to speak the truth in love. He wants us to grow up spiritually. And a mature spiritual person will be somebody who's grounded in the truth, but will also be someone who is loving in their actions. So let me ask you a question. Do you love the truth? Have you embraced it? Are you enjoying it? Now, are you living the truth? See, it's one thing to have a head knowledge, a theoretical knowledge. It's quite another to live it. I don't want to be a Ravi Zacharias. And I don't want to be Church of Nashville. I want to live what God's Word teaches. That's my desire. We live in a world that is filled with lies. As we saw last Sunday, the spirit of the Antichrist is at work. He's doing his best to wear the saints out. He wants to deceive us. But we're called to protect and love the truth passionately. We're to guard the truth. We're to uphold the truth. We're to defend the truth. We're to proclaim the truth. But we're to do all of that in love. So God, help us. Help us, Lord, to be a people who not only are passionate about truth, but are also passionate about living it out in our actions. And when you truly love truth and you love the God who is truth, you'll demonstrate His love to others. May God help us to do that. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we are so thankful today that you are a God of truth and you're also a God of love. And Lord, we want to be a people who love the truth, but also live the truth. Help us, Lord, 
to be true to you. Oh God, we live in a world that is just filled with deception. Swirls all around us and we see people that we love being swept away in false doctrine. Lord, we realize that we ourselves are susceptible if we do not embrace and enjoy the truth. And Lord, at the same time, we also want to be a people who demonstrate your love to a world that is lost and dying. Lord, we don't hate anyone. We want all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so, Lord, help us to reach out as you did to the sinner, to the one that the world holds at an arm's length, to those that are lives are a wreck and a mess help us lord to love them as you've loved us but lord help us to love them in truth and to be willing lord to be honest about what your word says lord we don't know what is coming we see signs of what's coming in our nation but we don't know But Lord, we pray that you will help us to stand fast and stand firm. No matter what we may face, help us, Lord, to stand for the truth. But help us to do it in a loving manner. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.